0: You're socially distanced, but you're not alone. These are the COVID Chronicles with Jenny Rudolph, brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. From the front lines of healthcare, the home front, and other unique perspectives on learning and connecting in the time of coronavirus.
1: Welcome to COVID Chronicles, my journey virtually around the world to talk with colleagues, friends, and others about their unique experience under COVID-19. Today, I'm delighted to be talking with Clement Bouillon. He's an attending physician in the Caen Department of Anesthesia and Intensive Care at the Hospital of Caen in Normandy, France where I'm sure you have way better bread than we do here in the United States. Am I correct, uh, Clement? Yeah, that's true. Clement, I met him also because he's the executive director of the simulation program at the hospital there in Caen. And he also was one of the founding members of the French Society for Simulation and Healthcare. And now he chairs the research committee for the society. Clement, so delighted to be reconnecting with you. How are you?
0: Fine, Jenny, thank you for welcoming me. I'm super happy to have this nice chat with you.
1: So, Clement, when you and I touched base a few weeks ago, I was really excited, although it's a very difficult time, to hear about the idea that your hospital has created a airway SWAT team, an airway SWAT team. So lots of hospitals are trying to help everybody learn how to manage intubations and airways, everybody who normally does in the presence of aerosolizing agents and infection control and personal protection, et cetera. But your hospital's taken a different approach. So talk to me a bit about that.
0: Yeah, we found the idea that's that's a critical point. Some of the staff put in danger, and even if we train them in simulation as we did the first week, we thought could be more efficient to focus on a single team, the experience, and also dedicate materials to manage those particular patients at that particular moment.
1: If I'm understanding correctly, your hospital has decided that having a super practiced group of, I think you told me six, is a better, safer, stronger way to go than trying to have everybody learn all these complicated steps and procedures.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: How did you get your team tuned up? Uh,
0: in face of this exceptional situation, we thought that there is a need for a new approach that's going to save us time and bring us direct to the point. And that's why we thought to simulations to develop and to train this uh, dedicated team, those six uh, duo of anesthesiologist and nurse anesthetic. So we use the simulations to develop the algorithm, procedures, and test it in procedural simulations to be sure that we have chose the right materials and that we have thought in any manners and any aspect that we need to be efficient at the first time.
1: So, Clement, let me just make sure I'm hearing this correctly. You had people working together as a anesthesiologist plus CRNA, as we would say in the States, a certified registered nurse anesthetist, so an anesthetic nurse. Yeah. And in step one of tuning up this team, you had them work through a set of procedures that you had developed for this process to test out those procedures. And I'm guessing also, however, though, that these duets might've also been getting used to each other as they went through that. So am I understanding step one correctly? And is there anything you wanna add?
0: That's completely correct. More than that, uh, uh, even if I had the main idea, the team, the whole team, uh, I've been involved in the development of the algorithm checklist and procedure. In, in that way, they really get into it, and those checklists were really their checklist. Mm. So that's for us the better way. And at the same time, as you highlighted, we really build a team. That's not a team building exercise, that's a, a real building of the team.
1: Okay. So... You essentially did some almost procedural testing slash system testing in step one using your intact duets and the whole 12 people. Then what happened? What what did you do next? This first step took us two days.
0: After that, we feel that there is a need to test it. From the beginning, we had a briefing every morning and a debriefing at the end of the day. And since the first briefing, we had scheduled to have those simulation tests. We did an I.O. Well known for everyone. And so for two more days, we ran high fidelity simulations. Part of the team was in the simulators. Other part was in the control room and directing the simulation and observing the simulation. and. We had those 30 minutes debriefing in which we highlight and discuss the good point checklist and procedure and how to use it in a different way. And that was really interesting Vikaya's learning because Duo learned from the previous one and We literally see that they are climbing on each other's shoulder, going higher and better and better.
1: So the positioning of different people or the perspectives of different people in the second stage of your training was you could be in the control room, you could be an observer, or you might be uh, actually taking care of the simulated patient. And you noticed that people were learning vicariously from each other and getting better by watching what each other were doing. I'm really curious to know, Clement, what kind of insights did you see that differed among those three groups? For example, what kinds of insights or experiences did the people who were doing the simulation have versus the observers versus the room? What kinds of differences did you notice?
0: That's a super interesting question. Thank you, Jenny. Inside simulators, we... We saw that our team member were super focused and really concentrated on their task, really trying to use and test the procedures. Observer have a more broad global understanding and view of the process. And that's bring interesting thing in the debriefing because the comment and debrief were at different and Complementary levels.
1: Can you give us an example, Tomo?
0: Let me think about this. Yeah, we found that was super important to have those aspects of clean ends for the person dedicated to their respirators, ventilators, and drugs. The other person at the head of the patient was classified dirty and because touching the patient face and can have his glove contaminated. Depending on the way uh, and the environment is organized around the head of the patients, that can bring easier or not hygiene mistake. From the inside, that was not so obvious. So that's a way that two positions are really complementary.
1: Clement, I think I hear you saying that you developed this approach where you had someone who had clean hands, quote unquote, who was managing the medications and the ventilator and so on, and someone whose hands were dirty because they could be contaminated by intubating the patient or touching their face. I'm thinking there's some really interesting differences in the perspectives of those persons. And I think I also, and you said there might be a third person in the room, so what was the thinking behind all those different roles?
0: That's true, and that's a discovery from real training. At first, we thought of these three persons as indoor runner, dedicated to call for help or make, enter the crash cart, but in fact, we discover through several simulations that we are super-focused, the duo are super-focused from the briefing before entering the room to the final point and our goal, which is achieve the intubation. Once the intubation is achieved, we feel that stress is going down, and so less pressure, but also hard to stay focused. And there is a real need for the third person to help us. and. It can't help us to stay focused, but it can check us and it can ask us question from a checklist to be sure that the patient is stabilized. Everything we have to do before leaving the room is done, and to guide us for the um, déshabillage, uh, you know, when you're undressing, doffing, doffing. That's yes. it.
1: Fantastic, Clement. As you may remember, I used to do quite a bit of rock climbing and. Um, Being the safety nut that I am, I used to read a publication called Climbing Accidents of North America, which was about climbing accidents, and one of the things I learned from reading that, as well as looking at the statistics of the safety issues, is many falls in rock climbing do not happen at the hardest point in the climb. Rather, they happen after people have gotten to the top of the cliff and their vigilance has dropped and they trip or fall off the top. And I'm hearing a similar thing, that there's so much tension and worry about intubating and maintaining personal protection. And then when it's done, vigilance sort of falls away.
0: Yes, 200% agree with you. That's when you're unduffing that you are at risk to contaminate yourself. That's when your intubation is performed, that you are at risk to walk in the bean, which will spread everywhere, the contaminated device you throw in it. So I, I agree. There is a real need for this external help to be sure that you, you stay focused and help you to be safe.
1: Yeah. So that 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 third person added some cross-monitoring. So Clément, we've talked about the development and testing of the procedural checklists to do this process by the team of 12 working in duos and duets. Then step two was testing those procedures and whatnot and trying them out by either being a simulation person, observer, or in the control room and learning from each other in that process. And something you said there that was really important, I think, is we tend to think of simulation as a set rehearsal and readiness thing or an education thing. But you're describing it really as a discovery process of learning what are the challenges by doing the simulations. After those two steps have been done, there was a third step, I believe, something about simulation, debriefing, more about the team learning from each other. Can you walk me through what, what was that third process like?
0: Yes, it was pleasure. We continue to use simulation to develop and test difficult airway algorithm, because in general, uh, in difficult airway conditions, there is no room for improvisations and those uh, COVID-19 condition That can be. So there is a need to be really clear uh, about what to do if the airway become compromised. So we work on this, we train on this, and that's bring not only training, but also that the fact that members of the team are, even if they are used to work together in normal context of the OR, are now really better trained together. And I forgot to specify that most of them, not all of them, but most of them, are trainers in simulation. So they are well aware about non-technical skills and how it's important to work as a team and how it's important to have double-check communications, close the loop, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, self-monitoring. So that's that is the way. We did it, that is a training, that is the debriefing. Probably one of the reasons we are been able to do this thing in a really short amount of time.
1: Clement, as I've spoken with people around the world about critical care in the ICU, in the OR, in new spaces where they're being asked to manage patients on ventilators, One of the things I hear over and over is high anxiety levels, either in the moment or anticipatory anxiety. And it seems to me one of the really important benefits of this airway SWAT team approach is actually anxiety management. Because the team itself has had more practice than many teams or many duets or many individuals who are having to manage a COVID positive patients airway. But also when the team shows up, everybody else can feel relaxed and confident that the team's comfortable and strong in these skills. They've got it. Could you comment on that at all? How's that played out?
0: That's really true. All the members of the team feel comfortable, safe, working together, Having trained together, it's almost like a dance. You 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 trained before. That's not your first time uh, on the floor, so you know you know the music and you know how it's come, how it goes, and so you're not surprised. Uh, rehearsal coming with a mental rehearsal, and entering the room, we have this this written briefing that we read, role attributions that's specify who is going to do what and we also state what are we going to do in case of cardiac arrest we have and we double check that all drugs and all materials are ready so all those step by step approach really make it easier for us and we are in a procedure that we own now
1: and as you said the team the airway SWAT team was also made up of people who have been working on their teamworking skills for many years, not just the yes. task work of um, anesthesia care, which itself is hard and difficult, but the teamworking skills. So that briefing, uh, planning, walking through things, essentially doing a bit of a mental rehearsal for different kinds of eventualities, also all contribute to people feeling more relaxed and managing that. Anxiety, I think, is, A, really important to being able to perform well in the moment, but in my view, reduces people's burnout and longer-term psychological distress as they go through weeks of uh, this kind of stressful COVID moment.
0: Yes, and and I have really interesting comments and feedback at the end of the process, and that's Not only on the clinical aspect, team members report that they, for themselves, have learned a lot on their ability to improve their teamwork and their dancing abilities, and also that some of them have discovered at which point simulation is a powerful tool and not only or training but also to, to new procedures a new approach that is concretely saving time and life and probably uh, prevent some contaminations for healthcare provider so they were positively surprised of this aspect of the simulation process
1: Clement, it seems that you're saying that this simulation plus debriefing plus experimentation and working together ended up with the airway SWAT team not only getting good at managing airways, but actually learning to learn or getting better at getting better. Can you comment?
0: Yes, Jenny, that was super surprising. Most of us learned something new and which was not only on the clinical aspect. And that's kind of serendipity even for me who was 100% convinced of the interest of doing it in simulation. I was super astonished to see how much the team built itself and get better and better and knowing each other better. And there is a real link and real strong bond between the member of the team. So that's helped a lot.
1: So that's a trend that I am getting more and more interested in. Eve Purdy and Vic Brazel and others wrote something up about this last year. The relational aspects of trauma simulation is what their article was titled, I think. And now that they've sort of raised my consciousness on that, I see it everywhere, which is when we have a repeated opportunity to practice in situ or with a team that continues over time, this trust that builds up psychological safety among the peers is a powerful secondary benefit. And I think the importance of your work with this airway SWAT team, Clement, in part is this secondary benefit, that in a space where people are so anxious and there's so much uncertainty, having a team that you can really depend on having a team that you've learned with having a team that you have seen them get better and you know how good their skills are now must bring a little oasis of calm to an otherwise crazy situation
0: yeah uh, i i like a lot your comment about the oasis of calm and That's also kind of a rock, you know, that something is solid and consistent and you can um, rely on.
1: Yeah, you can really rely on that. Clement, I want to move toward the end of our conversation here. And the last thing I'd like to talk about with you is how this work might be seen almost as a capstone on everything you've done in your career. It sort of pulls everything together, your anesthesia skills, your simulation skills, your education theory and design skills, and your you know, entrepreneurial spirit. It's almost like you were sort of made to do this at this perfect moment. Can you tell me a little bit about how you see your journey into this moment or how this moment has pulled all that together? If yeah,
0: you agree with that yeah, idea, yeah. And or no, no, maybe you don't. I, I agree, and I like your highlight. Uh, all the different aspect of things I'd learned with the time to to be able to build that. When you do it, you don't realize at which point where come the small, the baby step that's bring you there. And as you said, I was not really aware of. What was the background that I need at that time to develop that? But in fact, you're, you're completely right. That's a real mixture of having this wonderful team, those members who are ready to follow this idea, having the validations of the hospital, having the... Simulations ability uh, having spent years with UNCMS being encouraged to innovations and in having discovered some new approach of teaching and all those things pulled together bring this opportunity. And yes, that was uh, wonderful things to develop. And that's something it's efficient. And because development have been done, the second part, the training is now available for everyone who needs it. And that's something we can be proud of. It's that's now with our materials in two days. Whoever wants can develop Hairway SWAT team efficient enough to work in safe condition and secures patients and healthcare provider. So that's something interesting for us.
1: Fantastic, Clement. So I'm going to give you the second to last word. Just to ask you in this time of COVID-19, are there any other takeaways or thoughts or things you'd like to share?
0: Not super original, but I I think that highlights the real need for teams, working as teams in all the aspects that teams mean is the better way for efficient, safe care for the patients, but also for the care provider, because being able to give good cares is having healthcare provider who works in good condition, in safety and in a team where they feel they belong.
1: That's great. So I, Wanted to thank you, Clement. I think this model of having an airway SWAT team that's managing all the intubations across all the different settings in your hospital is an alternate model that people can consider uh, across the world as we try to manage COVID-19 and possibly in other contexts. And thank you so much for your innovation and um, energy in this area.
0: Thank you, Jenny. thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and we hope this was a bit of an oasis in your day. Remember, you're socially distanced, but you're not alone. These are the COVID Chronicles with Jenny Rudolph. Learn more at www.harvardmedsim.org.